Hello, and welcome to Workle's Happiness Podcast. I'm Mark Price, the founder of Workle, a platform designed to help everybody get happier at work. I used to be the boss of Waitrose and the deputy chair of the John Lewis Partnership, and it's there that I began my interest in how we work and how being happier at work can not only transform an individual's life, but transform an organisation. On this podcast, I find out how happy people really are at work and discuss what steps they take to get happier. I'm delighted to be joined on this edition of the Work All Happiness podcast by Charlene Prempe. Now, Charlene uh, is an amazing character, as you're about to discover. Um, She has got an amazing uh, academic background. Uh, from, from finishing at university, she went into marketing. She's now a journalist. Uh, she writes for a very well-known newspaper and others, as you'll shortly hear about. But more than that, she's an entrepreneur. She's actually now set up her own creative and marketing agency, which has a really good purpose and something I think to be incredibly proud of. And we'll discover that as we chat through. But Charlie, welcome to the Work or Happiness podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm glad to be here. Well, it's a pleasure. Now, say that our listeners understand you a little better. Tell us about your childhood and growing up. And I know what you did academically, but but tell us a little about your time at school and growing up. I grew up in East London in Canyon Town, where I lived with my mum, who was a single mum, and I was the youngest of four children. Um, my mum was Catholic, and so I went to the local um, Catholic primary school, um, and then on to the local Catholic um, all-girls secondary school, St. Angela's Ursuline. It sounds so kind of archaic, but St. Angela's Ursuline. And that's where I kind of did my GCSEs. Um, did really well in those, in everything apart from food technology. And so after I did my GCSEs, I went to City in Islington sixth form. Where I did A-levels in English, Mathematics, Pure and Stats, and Sociology. And then after that, I went to Oxford, where I did um, PPE, so Politics, Philosophy and Economics, at St. Hugh's College. So let's explore that a little more. So one of the things that that people always want to know when I talk to entrepreneurs or journalists or whatever is, was there anything when you were young that made you think you wanted to do that? What did you want to do when you were a little girl, when you grew up? I used to spend, and thinking of it now makes me laugh, I used to spend a lot of time reading the newspaper when I was about three years old. My mum was like, for reasons um, that I still can't quite understand, used to read The Sun um, the whole time. And so I'd sit there and just read The Sun. And I'd do that from the age of about like three plus. Um, until my sister, who's nine years older than me, until my sister was about 16, and then she started bringing The Guardian home when I was about nine, and then I was like, um, well, younger than that, I was about seven, and then I'd start reading, then I'd start reading that. So I was always very interested from a really young age in, in newspapers and news um, and feeling kind of, not informed even, because I was three years old, it's not like I wanted to know what's going on in politics. Um, but I just I just loved reading the news. I think I loved the variety of a newspaper versus a book. So um, at that point, I knew I was very interested in telling stories. Um, but I think what what's I think the issue is when you come from a background where you're not necessarily exposed to lots of different careers. I didn't know that because I was interested in stories that the path to being able to tell those stories 
was by being like a journalist or an author. I didn't know that that was a space that I could occupy. So I, di I didn't really sit around thinking, oh, I'm going to be this or I'm going to be that. The truth is, I think, because well, my mum didn't have very much money. And I think the truth is, at that point, you're just thinking about, honestly, like how you're just going to survive and how you're going to get out of that space that you're in um, versus it being kind of a career specific target, if that makes sense. Um, so I knew I wanted to just do well at school and that I wanted to be like a professional, but I didn't really know what all of the options were in terms of like professional life. And, and did you work when you were at school? Did you have a part-time job? Absolutely. So I actually lied about my age when I was um, 15 um, and I worked at sports division on Oxford Street. Um, where I was like a top, a top earner for getting people to sign up to sports divisions um, store cards. And so like I worked there um, and then I worked at Foot Locker and then I worked at Marks and Spencers throughout my, basically my entire, um, as soon as I was old enough to have a job, I had one. Um, and mo mostly in retail, um, even through uni, when I was at university, um, like in the summers, I'd work at um, Selfridges until my last year when I did like a more like career-based internship. Um, but yeah, I, I worked the entire time and I really, I really, really loved it. Um, you kind of met people who were in a similar position to you who were studying and working at the same time, but also just understanding how businesses operated and the very like they were targets that you had to be learning how to sell things into people, even though it was only trainers and like it was, yeah, trying to sell, sell people like a particular pair. It was still, it was still an exercise in marketing, like what you say about the trainer, um, how you make it seem attractive and working in a team. It's like, I learned to work in a team from a very young age um, and how to be a useful cog um, in that wheel. And so, um, yeah, it, it was a good time. And of those retailers, which was your favorite? My favourite job I almost think of my entire life has been at Foot Locker. I had like the best time. We and played. Is that because you're mad keen on trainers? I actually am very keen on trainers, but that wasn't the reason. It was, it was really nice because at the time, Foot Locker was really exclusive. There was only one in the whole of London, so it was before it became kind of ubiquitous. Um, so everyone was so desperate to get hold of the trainers, and I'd have like first dibs on like new lines that were coming through so that was very exciting um but also we got to like play our own music so like the weekend we'd be kind of like jamming to all our favorite garage tunes um and the people i worked with were wonderful so it just felt like working with family every weekend um so yeah it was it was a happy the happy memories and, there. and did you learn much about management then did you have good managers and less good managers well that's a really good question um I do remember him. I can't remember his name now. He was um, he was a really good manager in that, like, he listened to us if we like suggested like changes that needed to be made, even if it was just like boring things about like how we presented the trainers. Graham, his name was Graham, uh, about how we presented the trainers, and um, he was kind, um, but he was also very clear about what his expectations were, um, and he'd give you feedback if you weren't meeting them so he wasn't just kind of like do what you like like it's a party he was he made it a nice environment to work in like in any way that we could make it nice so like I said about the music um and stuff he would allow for that because he kind of saw he saw the importance of having a happy workforce and, and what about um a, a manager that was less good 
Do you have any you thought, oh my goodness, I wouldn't want to do that when I'm older? Maybe in the first job, right when I was at Sports Division, who I don't even think exists anymore. Um, and I think, I suppose back to that kind of target thing, like, yes, absolutely, it's important to set targets. Um, and it's important for people to know what it is that they need to achieve. But I feel like there was like tunnel vision with that being the only thing that was sh like demonstrated that you were doing your job well. Um, I think that's kind of unfair because there were people within the team who had other skills and like selling in this store card obsession, like selling in store cards to people with a very particular, like you need a particular type of banter, you need to be, it's quite an aggressive like sales mode. Um, and some people were really good at like having like longer relationships with people, um, helping people get exactly the right trains that they needed for them and their kids and like cross-selling across other departments and doing all of that stuff, which is equally important for a business because that person would definitely come back if they were like looking for um, the type of product that we sold and that didn't get rewarded. And I always remember thinking that was quite unfair. And which of them had the worst uniform? Absolutely Footlocker. We were dressed like referees. Um, that, that wasn't good, but we, we weren't oh, referees. There was that no was it going home after a shift? I would get changed. Without fail, I would bring along my own hoodie or something to hide to hide the black and white stripes of my of my T-shirt. And, and then at school, were you driven? Were you, you know, did you work really, really, really hard? Um, I did work really hard. Um, I... My mum was very, very clear about her kind of academic expectations. Um, it really didn't feel like there was room to mess around. I'm not gonna lie, I could have worked harder. Um, there were, I definitely had like my preferences in terms of subjects and um, my natural self, and I think a lot of people have this, is like to just work on the things that you enjoy um, or work harder on the things that you enjoy. Um, but there were things I enjoyed, which I wasn't necessarily naturally good at as they evolved. So like my, like my arithmetic was like, not now I got my but was brilliant from when I was really young. But then when it got to kind of, um, when we got into more of like the algebraic kind of work towards the end when we were doing GCSEs, I found that a bit harder. I had to like step it up a gear in terms of like working out how to do that work. Similarly, when I did um, stats at A-level maths, I found pure maths, by that point, I found pure maths really easy. I found stats more difficult and um, had to invest a bit more time and energy in it. But I, yeah, overall, I worked hard because I really felt that doing well academically was integral to a professional life. And really funny, looking back, or if, it was, if I was to do it all over again, I'm not sure I would have worked so hard. And, and then tell us about um, applying for and going to Oxford. And, and not only that, you studied PPE, which uh, uh, I know that many people listening to this will know it's one of the hardest things to get into study. Yeah. And uh, I think the current Prime Minister and uh, yeah. David Cameron as well studied PPE. So, so tell us about studying PPE, why you decided to do that and going to Oxford. So um, I didn't... It didn't even cross my mind to go, to, like, to think about applying to Oxford. Um, and one of my, my sociology tutor, actually, I was, um, I think, towards, it was, like, right at the beginning of the year, which is kind of like, I think you should apply to Oxford because I think you get in. I was kind of like, ah, 
And he was like, no, I really think you should buy socks. I think you're getting. Um, and so I kind of spoke to my mum about it and um, the other tutors, because that was obviously my sociology tutors. So I spoke to my English tutor um, and to my math tutor. My English tutor agreed. She's like, I think you should absolutely go for it. And really, um, really interestingly, my um, math tutor was like, I don't think you should do that. <laughs> I don't I don't think that's for you um but at that point obviously like the seeds have been sown and like even just if you look at the subjects I was studying um so doing maths sociology and English they're quite it's really kind of broad at that point actually I wasn't 100% sure what I wanted to do as a career um and again that goes back to not coming from a world where like everyone was like super career driven. So it wasn't, I just didn't know what the options were. And it didn't necessarily get much better, even though I was like doing my levels and knowing I was going to university. Um, and so I wanted to do a course that was broad, basically, that meant that I wasn't pigeonholing myself into one particular space. Um, and that's honestly why I chose PPE, because it was three different subjects. It was therefore, um, a broad degree to do. It meant that I could like explore some of the sociology work that I'd been doing as well as the mathematics work that I'd been doing. Obviously English is useful for everything. Um, and there was, I can't remember the name of it now, but there was an access scheme they were running with City and Islington. Um, so then we were able to kind of go up there before doing the interviews and just to get a sense of what, I, I didn't know what colleges were. So even just like getting a sense of like what different colleges were, it was only at the point when I went up to um, to see the different colleges that I realised that applying for PPE, everyone was like, oh, wow, that's brave. Because <laughs> at that point, I didn't know that like, I didn't know it was difficult to get into PPE. I didn't know that was the course that everyone was dying to do. I just thought it was a sensible thing um, as a broad subject. Um, but I was that, yeah. And that's that said, I was quite committed to going through with it. So I carried on with the application. Um, and it was hard. Like applying to Oxford was difficult. Like there were the exams, there was like obviously like just doing the actual application. And then there was the interviews, which um, again, I was coming from a space where no one I knew had applied to Oxford. So I didn't know anything about what that process was going to be like. Um, or how, what's the right word? How odd it was basically. Like in my economics interview, I went in kind of fully prepped and all my like stats work and like very like open and ready to have like conversations about the economy um, and about how economics works um, in society and all of that. And in the end, the guy interviewing me, who um, was like an applied economist, so really it came out of nowhere, was like, should people be allowed to walk around naked? I was like, uh, 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 uh. <laughs> um, and um, ended up having like an hour's debate about the kind of pros and cons of that. And I really enjoyed it um, in the end, but it, it threw me. Um, and yeah, like I, like I said, I think it's interesting that difference between people who are prepped for these interviews and people that aren't. Um, and I definitely was on, I was in the art camp. And I've talked to people before, Charlene, who um, have been encouraged to apply for Oxford, but have felt intimidated to do it because they've come from single parent households. 
because they come from more humble backgrounds. And so do you think you need to have a degree of self-confidence and self-belief? What would you say to those people listening who feel a bit intimidated by it? I think um, definitely you need to have some self-confidence and self-belief because it's a, it's a fairly brutal process, if I'm completely honest. It's not like, it's not a touchy-feely interview process. Um, and also it's, re it's super competitive. And even just talking to people who are doing their applications, there is this like, People are competitive about it. It's, it's not a straightforward place. And once you're there, it's a competitive environment. So you need to have a certain level of confidence just to get through the three or four years of your degree also. Um, but I would say that like, if you are, if you're strong academically, um, if you have a curious mind, um, if, you're, if you're interested in exploring your intellect, um, then it is a great place to be. Um, what I, what I miss about being at university is like my, like the tutorial structure, like this idea that like X number of times a week, I would sit in a space with a tutor and a fellow student and just debate ideas, um, in a really open, informed way. Um, I think that's like, I honestly think that should just be the system at all universities is my actual thing. I don't think it should just be Oxford, but um, at the moment it's Oxford and Cambridge. I think a couple of other um, universities have a tutorial structure, but it's it's a really exciting place to do that sort of exploration. And so, yeah, if, if you're of a curious mind, regardless of what your background is, I would strongly recommend um, applying and it could be for you. And, and you said that it was competitive. So did yeah. you work hard at university? Um, it's funny because I've still got a lot of my close friends are from my time at Oxford. Um, and like often over like, like when we're having dinner and stuff, we'll laugh about all the things we didn't do. So like, I went to one lecture for the whole three years. <laughs> I didn't go to any lectures. Um, we would often wait to the last minute and then like do all-nighters because I, I I did PPE so we had like we had three 2,000 word essays to write a week but in between all of that I was like coming back to London loads because like I missed my friends in London so like yes I worked hard in that it's impossible not to work hard if you're like rolling out three 2,000 word essays a week and having to read the 20 books that are required for each of those essays um but I wish now, like, like looking back, I should have just gone to lectures and just like um, embedded myself in university life more. Like I didn't join any clubs, but having said that, I did have a lot of fun with my friends, but like I didn't enjoy any clubs or get involved in that world. But I did actually find a part of it was I found it quite intimidating. Um, like the idea of joining the union and being a part of that or like rowing, like starting to row or any, I just, it didn't feel like it was something for me. So yeah, I worked really hard. I wish I'd worked harder at integrating myself into like university life. Did it feel inclusive for you or was that more difficult? It, it's a weird one. I had a very particular experience there in that really strangely on the day that I started, I was put next to my room. I was next to this amazing, amazing woman called Imogen Mavers, who um, basically took me under her wing. And I'll think about it, I'm quite emotional. She took me under her wing. She was, what I found when I got there 
was all of the public school people already knew each other. So there was like, everyone was just like meeting up with their friends. I, I found it bizarre. Everyone there was just like meeting their friends for a drink because <laughs> they were all there and they all knew each other even though they were at different schools or they were meeting their brother's friends or their parents' friends who were tutors there. It was all very like networked already. And so Imogen knew everyone. I'd like go and like go out with her and hang out with her. So like most of the friends that I've got now really come down to like people that I met through Imogen. So yeah, it felt very, yeah, I was immediately kind of welcomed in, but it was because I knew someone who was already part of the circle, if I'm completely honest. And it also ended up with me having quite an odd, like everyone I know from university is like super posh um, because Imogen was super posh is super posh. <laughs> um, but yeah, but it did feel very inclusive and they're really close friends of mine now and I love them. Um, but I don't know, I literally don't think I know any state school people from university. And, and you were saying that um, towards the end of your time at university, you started to think more seriously about a job. Um, so just tell us what you were thinking about what you wanted to do as you came to the end of your university time. So actually what I thought I wanted to do was um, work in finance. So in my, the summer um, before, so in my penultimate year, um, I did an internship at Citigroup um, on the like trading floor, um, fixed income. Um, and off the back of that was offered a job um, for coming out of uni. So in my last year, I was kind of like, Woo, I've got a job. I'm going to do that. And I, I kind of, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed that summer internship. Like there were interesting people. Um, there were powerful people. I've had a lot of it just quite amusing, just like being taken out these kind of like massive steak lunches. But if I was, I was, I was completely honest with myself, though, though I found um, the kind of intellectual side of it worth exploring, I didn't, I didn't love like, there was nothing about just moving around numbers in that way that um, I felt passionate about, um, other than the hard cash of it all, to be honest. Um, and so I, but I took the job because it was kind of like, okay, you've been offered a job. And like, obviously my mum was just like, you've been offered a job, you should take a job. Like it's a good job, um, it's a good career path. But when I was actually doing it, my heart just wasn't in it at all. Um, and so, after kind of like three months, um, stopped doing that. And then was like, okay, I don't really know what I want to do. Because actually throughout all of those years of like studying, um, like and working part-time, I'd never actually just stopped and been like, what do I want my life to look like in 10 years time? Like those just weren't the kind of conversations um, that took place in my household. Um, and my, like I said, I'm youngest of four, my sisters, my two sisters before me, like fell into jobs, if you know what I mean. They kind of, and they were good, don't get me wrong, they were good jobs. Like my sister works in compliance. My other sister's like a project manager now um, for like some really big companies. Um, and there's lots of parts of their jobs they enjoy. But again, it wasn't a case of like, I want to be this. And then what are the steps to get to that career? So at that point, I kind of, I just did internships at a few places. I did like a, I was like, I was like okay, I'm interested in fashion. So like I did. Um, internships at InStyle and um, the Daily Mirror magazine, um, they're like weekend fashion magazine, I think it was called Fabulous, I can't remember. Um, so I did like internships there 
And then I was just like, oh, I'm not sure working in a fashion cupboard, which is basically what you do as an intern, is just like sorting through clothes. Like, I'm not sure working in a fashion cupboard is what I want to do. And then I was like, okay, maybe like I'm interested in music. And I like, um, a friend of mine was working at a record label. So she got me an internship at a music management company. And so I interned there for a bit. And it was like fun, but I was like, oh, I'm not sure how like into music I am. Though part of what we were doing there we're looking at the marketing um because they had like a small label they worked with we're looking at the marketing for the bands that we were working with i was just kind of like oh i think this is something that i enjoy and that's when i kind of remembered how much i liked um writing and the kind of comm side of things like the communication side of things um and was like looking around for jobs in that space and i remember like specifically like looking in a newspaper at the time when that's where you'd find jobs um, and there was um, an advertisement for a media agency, Venif Media, who were looking for graduates. Um, I didn't know anything about media agencies, um, but they were like looking for graduates. It was like a good, like in comparatively, like a good like starting salary. Um, and I knew that they were like they wanted someone who wanted to, who was strategic um, and interested in communications. And so that's where I started. And did you love it from the start? No, I really hated working at a media agency, actually. Um, I felt, I, I felt, I found it really, just to be completely honest, I found it really mundane. Um, and there was like little space to do any kind of what I wanted to do, which was like some good, like strategic, creative work. Um, I did like there was an odd piece of work I did which I really enjoyed. I learned I learned a lot. I didn't enjoy it, but I learned a lot. I learned how to manage clients. Um, I learned how to like structure a strategy. I was doing lots of international work, so I learned a lot about the nuances of different like communication markets. Um, it was it was mainly the creative bit that I felt was like lacking, and it's and it was also the bit I wanted to do the most. So you've, done, so you've done four jobs now since leaving university. Okay, Each bye. time you, you're getting clearer on yeah. what you want to do. Yep. You're, you're yeah, clear about what you don't want to do. Yes. So um, you're getting closer. You're inching ever closer. So it's what happened then? Going back to, I suppose, my interest in kind of numbers and stuff, is that when I was working at one of the agencies, I got really into the kind of research aspect of it, which really spoke to all the work I'd done in like sociology and... Um, I've got quite a structured mind. Um, and then that was the one bit I did enjoy. I was like, okay, this research bit is actually oddly creative. Like you get to think about people in a creative way. And off the back of all of that kind of insight work, um, I started, well, I like just having more and more conversations with people in the insight space. Um, and then got a job at the BBC um, looking at, um, in their kind of audience insights team looking at how um, we could use research to develop content um, in the wider business. Did you love that? I really enjoyed that. Um, I think it was like, it's something that seems really kind of standard now, but looking at, um, but using research as a creative tool was like not something that people were doing like in a blanket way at that point. Um, so it so felt like doing lots of strategic work. It felt it felt good. It felt good to be at the BBC. It felt good to be at Auntie. Um, it was like it was like it was nice. Um, so how how did you start your writing again? How did you start your journalism? 
So the writing stuff, I was writing, so one thing I didn't mention, so when I, when I left university and I was doing the stuff in media and I was like not enjoying it much, I went back to being like, what is it that I love? And I, um, I was reminded of how much I loved writing and I thought, okay, what I should do actually is apply to graduate school. So I applied to do the MA at Columbia University, um, MA in journalism at Columbia University, thinking it was a long shot, but like wanting to give it a go. Um, and to my shock horror, I actually got in. And so I was like, oh Jesus, okay. Um, and then was like really excited about that. Um, and was like looking at how I could get the funding to go to that. And then in the end, basically, I couldn't afford to do it. And so it fell through and it was devastating at the time, like really, really devastating. And I was just like, oh, this hope I had to become a journalist is just not going to happen now because this Columbia thing isn't going to happen. Um, and so it was this weird thing that I kind of, apart myself, which I just parked and just kind of like, it's not going to happen. I just need to kind of give up on it. Um, but like I would write for myself, um, but not kind of put it out in the um, in the public sphere. And then I worked at the BBC, where I um, obviously met with like lots of journalists. Um, and there was one particular person called Candy Perez, who um, is a writer and who like pivoted from doing research actually into becoming a journalist. I found the fact that she'd done that really inspirational. Um, and she was really encouraging of like, if you want to write, like write, like you just like, you have to do it to do it. If you know what I mean, you need to be in the game. Um, and so basically that's what I did. I kind of started like um, putting proposals together and just like asking people if they wanted, if they were interested in the piece that I was writing. And after BBC, I was at The Guardian. So again, much closer to um, like the people that were actually kind of writing stuff. Um, and I think in the end, my first piece was that got commissioned was for, I think it was for ID. Um, and when I was looking at the effects of fatherlessness for um, young black girls. And in spite of setting up your own uh, agency, which we'll come on to in a moment, you're still writing. So you write for the FT yeah, uh, I magazine, I How to Spend It. I write for How to Spend It. I have a um, fortnightly column on black creative entrepreneurs, which I love. Um, and I do, I'm a contributing editor, so I do other features for them as well. Um, it's been, they're brilliant, brilliant, brilliant publication to work for. And I feel very um, lucky and excited, um, yeah, to have that relationship now. And if there's somebody listening who wants to start writing, get into journalism, what yeah. advice would you give them from all that you've done? I give them advice that Candice gave to me, which is write. So just like actually kind of getting on and doing it, there's like no better training. Um, even if they don't feel like there's anywhere to put it, just write for yourself, write for the people around you. Um, and I also think that if you have a story, um, and this is it, I think, especially now, there are more, people are really open to hearing like unique perspectives and unique stories. So you've got a story to tell, like find out who the editors are for the publication that you want to write for and just write to them and ask if they'd be interested in you like putting together that piece. And also like 
there's all this all these conversations about how media's become really fragmented and like reasons why that might be problematic but there's also a million reasons why it's a really positive thing there are really really niche properties out there um who need writers and so rather than maybe just thinking about the big headline um nationals that we've got and the like the conde nests um and like all of those magazines that are really mainstream. Um, take a look and do a bit of research into some of the smaller publications who are aligned with your interests and like contact them. That's good advice. And, and so um, tell us now about your, um, your marketing uh, consultancy business. So why, what drove you to set up a vibe called Tech? Um, so I've been, God, it scares me, reminds me of my age now. So I've, so I've been working in marketing in some capacity um, for about 15 years. Um, and the problems with diversity had been rife from the beginning. Um, but it just, it wasn't something that people kind of spoke about or for a long time were willing to do anything like significant about. And then I, I started off with a viable tech, actually looking at the effects of technology on the black community. So it was a much more of like a public engagement piece. And I was using all of my marketing skills to kind of get the word about it out there um, and to think about how kind of marketing and technology and how they overlap and what that does, good and bad for the black community. Um, but then when um, BLM happened, it was just a kind of a moment of reassessment. And I was thinking in terms of like, the relationships I have, as well as the skills that I have, um, like how can I do work um, that will make a difference? And so I continue and continue to do loads of work in the kind of technology space and how that affects black community, but also like there is a real need for there to be more work done on how brands communicate with and about black people. Um, and everyone was kind of like running to focus on visibility. So just making sure there was more black people in their campaigns, um, more black people behind the scenes, but um, less of a focus on what the actual stories were they were telling. Um, and what a vibe called tech is about is making the black story and the black narrative very much part of the mainstream discussion. And so, um, and so tell us about the process of setting up. So, I mean, did you have a Damascus moment or was this something that, you know, you were thinking about year after year and then in the end you just thought, I've got to do this? Or was there an event that made you say, I've got to set up an agency to, to work on this? No, so Lewis and I, who's um, the creative director of Bible Tech, we were talk we've been talking about this in some capacity. We met at Freeze, um, that's some of the place I've worked. So we met at Freeze and we were, we were talking about this in for like years. And then when when all the kind of things happened in summer, um, we've been really fortunate to have worked with Gucci um, when we were at Freeze. And they do amazing work already. Um, we have kind of like Gucci change makers. Um, so they already kind of demonstrated that they're committed to it um, before BLM happened. And so when, we, when it all happened, we're like, who, I think we need to get this going. Who should we kind of kick this off with? Um, and then we were like, it would be amazing if we could do like start this off with Gucci um, and 
they were really keen on the kind of idea and the concept and then we started working with them so that was like our first our first client as an agency which is insane um and is it hard to set up an agency um it's not easy <laughs> in the there are, there are two sides to it right there is um the just the logistics of setting up a business so um like registering your business um making sure all of your accounts are in order um working out the team that you need around you um all of the kind of what the processes need to be um the branding all of that kind of making sure your website's up and running where you're going to operate out of all of like that side of things um and that in itself is usually someone's full-time job but when it's um, when you're starting up a when you're starting a startup effectively you do everything so like having to do all of that work um and then in parallel to that as an agency it's about working out who are the clients, doing all of the reaching out to them, having all of those conversations, and then delivering the actual work that you've agreed upon. Um, so like coming up with all of those ideas, working with all of the partners. Um, so it's the multifaceted nature of um, being a founder of a company is, is exciting, but it's, yeah, it's really, really hard work up until up until January, I've been working a seven day week for like eight or nine months. And, and what about things like raising the money to do that? Is that straightforward or is that hard? It's again, I, I definitely go down the hard route um, in the your. So in my case, I you just have to scale everything else in your life back. Um, and obviously, like I, I'm lucky enough to have had the privilege to be able to even do that. Um, and then invest that money in making this work. Um, so luckily I operate in kind of two ways. Obviously we've got the agency um, and the work that we do there. And then we've got um, the public engagement work, which is much more around the impact of technology. And with that, that's kind of like doing all of the applications for like funding. So we've got the Paul Hamlin Foundation have um, are investing in us doing a research piece in Birmingham, London and Manchester looking at the lived experience of technology for black communities in those cities. And so that application processes are, they're really time consuming and they're really hard work, like hard work in themselves. Um, and then looking at raising the money to like have all the processes in place and the, the tools in place that you need to run an agency. Um, that's been something that I've had to do kind of basically out of my own money and just like doing it on a um, escalating scale as we get more and more business. And so the acid test is you've taken the work or happy at work test. Yes. When you did the survey, did you score yourself mainly as tens or mainly as zeros? Well, it's a funny thing because um, a lot of the questions are asking like what, like what your boss is like. And like like what kind of feedback and stuff that you're getting from your boss and so basically when it came to like happiness and like engagement with work and feeling that I had purpose a lot of those were a 10 or like a nine um but where I was definitely lower down the scale was with my work-life balance so would you say that for an entrepreneur setting up a business that's the thing they need to think most about there's a great sense of purpose and 
and drive around your baby, but it takes up a lot of time and energy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think it's really important to give yourself some space to breathe. Like I was, um, years ago, I went on a, it's so kind of eat, pray, love, but I went on a yoga retreat to India and I was reading at the time, um, one of the School of Life books called How to Be Bored. And so much of what my life is now is based on that time I spent in India, um, where I kind of took these, I think I was gone for like 12 or 13 days, but I was like alone. I didn't speak to anyone. Um, I barely spoke to anyone like in my vicinity while I was there. And I was able to kind of like map out like what was important to me and the areas of my life that needed my energy and the bits that could just be cut dead. Um, and taking that time to do that work was like, yeah, it was just integral to everything that's happening now. And then over Christmas, I did a similar thing with a book called Do Pause, um, where I was kind of like, what is like the rhythm of my day and how can I change that? So I'm happier first and foremost, um, but also kind of more energized um, and I suppose more productive. So the, the point of this book was you are not a to-do list. Like you can't judge your value on just like how much you've got done that day. Like, oh, I got like tick 20 things off my like tick box. It's like, what to you is like a valuable and meaningful life. Um, and yeah, work is definitely huge in that. And when you're an entrepreneur, usually more than normal, because like ideally if you're doing something off your own back, it's because you love it and you think it's important. Um, but there's also other things I love, like reading books um, and like getting home in time to like feed my son um, and like dancing with him. And it's just kind of like there was a whole few months where all of that took a back seat. Um, and so my thing this year is definitely how to how to make that not even about a work life balance. It's more just about my work is my life it's all very entwined it's about um not always doing things to like because i need to deliver like how do i just enjoy the life that i'm living and would you say that doing this job setting up your own business is the happiest thing most enjoyable thing you've done out of all of your working experiences i'd say other than footlucker uh, where i did have a really really good time um yeah I'd absolutely say um this is like the happiest stage of my career that I've been in and it's it's not just the um setting up my own business so that is like a huge part of it it's also like the writing um and like because of those two things having more of an opportunity um to like talk to people about the opportunities that exist out there for them in terms of work um and being just more involved in helping shape like a better space for the black community. Um, and not just through the work, through things that I do around it. So yeah, this is this is me the happiest I've been work-wise, definitely. Oh, it's great to hear. And let me ask you a couple of quick questions to, to finish. If um if you were recommend to recommend somebody to take the um the work called Happy at Work test, who who would you get to do it and why? If I was to recommend to someone, like a, yeah. like a friend. Yeah, anybody. Who would you pick to do it? Um, if I was going to get someone to do a happy at work test, I'd ask Boris to do it. I think, I think Boris Johnson to do a happy at work test. Um, no, no, I think he's really miserable. Um, because I think what he'd find is that um, this wasn't 
it wasn't, it wasn't the job that he signed up for. Um, and hopefully that would cause him to move on and let someone else take take the space who does want to do the job. So I'd, I'd recommend he should do it. Who else would I want to do a happy at work test? Um, I'd, I'd want people that do, I'd want people that do the jobs that keep our world ticking. I'd want them to do a happy at work test so that those results can be taken, like people that work for the NHS, um, people that work in those kind of key worker roles. I think it'd be important for them to do the test to see how they're feeling and present it to people that can make a difference in making sure that they're happier. Um, I think we we talk about their work as necessary and it is, it's so necessary, but it doesn't mean that they shouldn't get to enjoy what they do as well. Um, so I think I'd love them to be able to take the test and then people to shape things around them so they get to be happier at work. And um, last question from me, what piece of music when you hear it and you dance with your son makes you feel happiest? Um, at the moment, it's Tender um, by like Blur's um, Tender because we, my husband um, played, um, played a song on piano to me at our wedding and it's the first time my son sang a song. So um, yeah, Tender is the song of the, of the moment. Great, well, thank you for that. And Charlene, uh, it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you. Um, You've, um, you've had an inspirational career from what you achieved at university to, to then how you went through a whole number of jobs to find what was really going to inspire you and make you happy. And for everybody listening, it's worth them knowing that you just don't have to stick in a job you don't like. You can move, you can learn, and ultimately you can find something that's really empowering as you're doing now with, um, with the business that you set up a vibe called tech. So thank you very much for your time and talking to us. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening. For more on this podcast, head to workall.co where you can find out how you can get happier at work.